The Tampa Bay Rays appear to have a stadium deal. Plus, later in the episode, we'll hear from the president and CEO of Learfield. It's Tuesday, September 19th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Rays appear to be ending years of speculation and alternate plans and occasional mentions of relocation and are now expected to announce a deal to stay in the area. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So at the time of recording, we do not have a formal announcement, but what are we expecting here? Yeah, the the expectation is on Tuesday that they will formally announce plans uh, to work with the city of St. Petersburg, where they now are, to build a new $1.2 billion, 30,000-seat domed stadium that will last solve the problems of their facility and, by 2028, get out of the wretched, outdated Tropicana field. Yeah, and just give us a sense of the history here. Um, This is uh, the end of an, an epic novel. Yeah, so the Rays came in as an expansion team in 1998, and really since day one almost, and really, you know, pretty extensively over the last 15 to 20 years for sure, um, you know, the push has been on to find a new facility, because even really since day one, uh, you 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 know, the Tropicana Field, originally the Thunderdome, was never really designed as a long-term solution. The idea was to ultimately get into a a new place. And there's been all sorts of different scenarios over the years with, you know, the can- canopy sail type covered facilities getting on different sides of uh, the Tampa Bay. Uh, even a split season plan posited at one point that half the season would be in Tampa and the other half would be in Montreal. There were a lot of different proposals over the years. And you know, ultimately, it's it's sort of funny for all of the different sort of fanciful notions. After all this time, the answer appears to be a fairly standard modern age facility, basically right where they are now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it seemed like they really wanted that split season thing with Montreal. Like they, they made a whole case about that. And it seemed like there was real disappointment within the team when Manfred mm-hmm. kind of shut that one down. Right. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is this is now just the the assumption at this point. It's it's more of a story when this doesn't happen. But there's going to be a larger development right in that gas plant right. district. Yeah, and that and that's part of the plan, and, and it really is a continuation of that model that's been out there for a while, but really was accelerated and and you know perhaps perfected by the Atlanta Braves in terms of what they did uh, surrounding Truist Park with the battery, and that is really a model for a bunch of other teams across a bunch of different sports to really use a sports facility as the anchor, you know, for a mixed use development and urban renewal project. And that's kind of what's going to be going on here in St. Petersburg. Uh, You know, there's a case, I think a pretty strong case actually to be made that the Rays are still going to be on the wrong side of the Bay, but this does offer the opportunity to tie into this larger development and also gives them some separation from where the Yankees have their spring training and development complex because all things being equal, the Rays really should be where George Steinbrenner Field is, but that's not possible. And having some physical separation from the Yankees complex, um, as inconvenient as it might be for some local fans, probably is going to be good for the team in the long run. There's something a little on the nose about the the Rays getting boxed out by the Yankees spring training facility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and speaking of that, 
that end of the world. And so the Rays have been, you know, one of the big underspenders in MLB. They've managed to be incredibly overachievers. Yeah, right. Overachievers, yeah, based on how much money they've spent. Is there any chatter around like, oh, now that we're finally going to get our stadium, like one day we'll actually at least be a kind of mid-tier spending team? We'll probably hear more about that tomorrow. Uh, but the case, they don't really have to hit the that hammer as hard as the A's or some of these other teams to sort of promise better days because the better days in a lot of respects, at least in terms of on-field, are already here. This is a team that they lose player after player to free agency or whatever, and they just keep on churning. And, and so – you know, promising better days competitively is not a necessity for them because they're going to be in the, and they're going to be in the mix here in October and a force to be reckoned with once again. And so, again, they don't have to sort of play that sort of traditional trope like some other teams do because they're in a lot of ways already getting it done. So the Rays deal appears to be done. Uh, the A's, you know, still have to have their moves signed off by the relocation committee that I assume is kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. I'd be surprised if it's anything else. Um, that I think now opens the door to expanding MLB to what looks like 32 teams. Yeah, so the the sort of if-then equation that we've heard going back all the way to the days of Bud Selig, this is not just a Manfred thing, but a long-held Bud Selig thing, is that they were not going to think about going beyond 30 teams until the Rays and A's got fixed. And so now we've got some really good news on on the cusp here with the uh, with the Rays. And the A's, it's a little bit more touch and go. I, I still have some concern about this referendum proposal, and I know you talked about that the other day, and we'll see what that plays out. But to get to your question more specifically, assuming they do get on the other side of that and the, the Las Vegas strip thing happens, yeah, then there, Manfred's already talked about it at the All-Star game. He'll probably talk about it again at the World Series and later this fall that, yeah, they really want to hit the uh, the go button on uh, expansion as soon as possible. And there's a lot of good potential markets out there that have already started to make their case and will continue to do so. And, the, you know, those names are fairly obvious that, you know, the Nashvilles, the Portlands, the Salt Lake Cities, potentially Montreal again, maybe Charlotte. Uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting cities out there with a lot of different pros and cons. And that, you know, again, assuming that there's not some, you know, further minefields with the A's, that conversation does happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, with the A's thing, I wonder if MLB at some point will say, like, okay, we got the relocation vote. Let's just proceed as if this is going to happen, even if there are some significant potential hurdles along the way. Um, and yeah, getting back to the expansion thing. I would be surprised if Nashville doesn't get a city, but and, you know, there that's obviously still an open competition, but that leaves at least one more slot for right. a bunch of other places. Oakland could be included in that bit as well because Yeah, that's another and that's another and the, and the uh, city leaders and the the mayor and so forth, they've already kind of made their pitch that okay, if this thing isn't going to happen, we really would like to be at the top of the list here because we haven't abandoned this notion and we think baseball could still work here. This wasn't a failure of market, it was a failure of ownership and other factors. Right. And kind of the ironic thing, if that's the right word for it, is they've they've got a site all, all figured out. They've got some public funding ready to go. And they even have a potential owner in Warriors owner, Joe Lacob, who is, you know, essentially offered to buy the team without, you know, but said, but they're not for sale. Um, so there are some dominoes lined up there if MLB, you know, is, is okay um, re-engaging with that market. Yeah. And I, and 
you know, listen, a lot of people had a lot of different reasons for really pushing hard on the Howard Terminal project. But to your point, I think there is a really interesting case to be made that if the whole thing were rescaled and you focus specifically on building a new ballpark and a mixed use development strictly on the Coliseum Arena land, because obviously the Warriors and Lake have gone across the bay, um, if you focus strictly on that property right by the highway where people already like to go, convenient to mass transit, how is that not a winner? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big we shall see there. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. The Deion Sanders effect is causing things to happen that would have made no sense a few weeks ago. The latest example being that a Colorado football coach insulting a rival coach has helped fuel millions in sales for a sunglasses company in San Diego. Referring, of course, to Blender's Eyewear, the sunglasses maker that Coach Prime signed a deal with earlier this year. So happens that they are preparing to release a pair of black and gold shades matching the colors of Coach Prime's Colorado Buffaloes when Colorado State head coach Jay Norvell said this. I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught That was an obvious swipe at Dion and how he dresses for press conferences, and Sanders is now hustling to make sure Norvell sees Dion's signature Prime 21 eyewear everywhere he goes in Colorado. Sanders handed out blenders to his entire team, to Pat McAfee on his show, and to Stephen A. Smith and the cast of First Take. You know, you gotta be right, man. You gotta be tight. <laughs> On Monday, Blender's founder, Mike Fisher, told Front Office Sports that they had initially prepared to sell 16,000 units and have received 67 to 72,000 pre-orders for the Prime 21 line. At $67 a pop, that's a minimum of $4.7 million in sales. The Buffalo's next game is in Oregon on Saturday, and the people at Blender's will be watching with dollar signs in their eyes, but you probably won't be able to see them through the shades. With NIL still reshaping the landscape, and now people like Deion Sanders drawing huge amounts of attention to the college world, it's a crucial time for companies that help schools and athletes monetize their brands. And Learfield is arguably the biggest player in that world. They just completed a major deal to recapitalize the company, and Eric Fisher, who you just heard talking about the raise, spoke to Learfield president and CEO Colga Hagen about what that means for the company. That conversation is coming up next. Pleased to have as our guest on Front Office Sports today, Colga Hagen, president and CEO of Learfield. The company has just completed a major deal uh, that uh, recapitalizes the company with private equity firms Fortress, Charles Bank, and ClearLink, and sets a new path forward for the company. Gahagan is a veteran of the business of sports, having previously held executive positions with both Fanatics and Ticketmaster. Cole, thanks for joining us. You bet. Good to be with you. So let's just start with the basics of the deal here. This uh, this recapitalization is something that uh, Learfield and, and you and your team have been working on for a while now. Why this trio of firms and why now? Well, I think uh, why now? We were we have been working through a process over the last year of our uh, this recapital necessary recapitalization on some looming debt maturities. There's also a why now of it's it's such an exciting time college athletics as as you know uh, there's there's never been a better time to get opportunistic and aggressive in the business of sports than now specific to college athletics 
So I think those were the driving factors, certainly behind um, the recap. And then why the three firms? We were fortunate to have those three firms and, and a host of others that were in our our uh, capital structure as lender partners. And as we set set out on this this journey, and put and and started working towards this recap, we began having discussions with those three amongst others almost a year ago. And their enthusiasm was immediate. They began to lean forward and and think through the different ways we could work more intently and deliberately together. And uh, the byproduct of that was a terrific recapitalization with some phenomenal partners that were uh, now new to the equity side of our of our capital structure. In addition to keeping our uh, other equity partners that were in place and have been in place with us for quite some time, Silver Lake Endeavor and Ateros uh, on our cap table as, as well. So it really was a terrific outcome, both for the company and uh, and hopefully will be for those those capital partners of ours. You mentioned the maturing debt, and there were some deadlines coming up. Uh, you know, in the neighborhood of a billion dollars in terms of uh, obligations that were coming due here before the end of the year. Various reports have been out there in terms of how serious the situation was. Had this not uh, been done, what was the future of the company looking like? Well, I think that the future of the company, no matter what was going to happen, was going to be bright uh, for two very important reasons. There's a distinction between. Uh, what we were facing with with looming maturities and and balance sheets and navigating some balance sheet challenges and a company that's very successful in the P and L and so first of all Learfield is a, always has been uh, certainly there was a there was a blip during COVID as there was for all sports and entertainment companies but uh, since the COVID recovery Learfield always has been a very healthy company on on the P and L our revenues are are in excess of a billion we're he- driving healthy EBITDA healthy healthy cash flows and we were meeting our our uh, debt servicing requirements throughout that process. Uh, the second reason why the, why the future for the company was always uh, bright was because those financial results that I just referenced and the success that we've had over the last several years has been fueled by a number of things. But most importantly, the good people that have been here in so many cases for many years, the phenomenal culture we have, and the new culture of, of diversity and, in, and innovation that we've driven at Learfield, the combination of all of those things have, have positioned this company that's been around for 50 years for the next 50 years, uh, powering college athletics. So the future was always bright. I think that what was in question was, okay, how does the company get on the other side of the gauntlet of, of managing these debt maturities? And from day one, we were mission focused on doing that, managing the, the, the restructuring around our debt maturities and around our balance sheet out of court. And we, we set a goal from day one of working with terrific capital partners, which again we had on the equity side and on our on our lender side as well, putting the right capital structure in place for this company and moving forward. And we were we're extremely proud that we were able to do that. So now with this new structure in place, what does the next say six, twelve, eighteen months of the company look like? What are you now going to be able to do going <laughs> forward? Well, we 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 turn. Uh, we turn back to two core principles, continuing to innovate and lead as a result of that and execution. We, we've done a great job. This this team at Learfield has done a phenomenal job getting five, 10 years ahead of where our industry is, is going over the last several years and putting the foundational pieces in place, data infrastructure, digital products that we can take out to market, continuing to fortify and modernize our platforms at Paculin and Sidearm and driving 
innovation around NIL as well. So the foundational pieces that we have put into place are critical to long-term success of this company. And so is near-term execution. And so now that we are able to turn our, both our attention and frankly, um, healthier balance sheet and more capital in the direction of, of execution, there's some exciting things that are ahead for, for our company here. And then, as you said, over the next six to 12 months and, and in the years ahead. These are obviously unprecedented times in college athletics, NIL, realignment, new media contracts. There's been more change in the last two years and probably the century before combined. How are you sort of sensing all of that change and, and how are you now structured to not only take advantage of that, but perhaps lead some of that change? Well, I think the most important thing that any organization, especially one our size and, and with our as mature as Learfield is, one of the most important things that you have to do is be careful not to get distracted. Probably one of the one of the best lessons I learned from Michael Rubin uh, when I was in my time at Fanatics. Um, it's so easy, particularly for the reasons that you just called out in, in an industry like ours, like ours right now. It's so easy to chase the shiny object. And the reality is we've got more than enough in exciting and shiny objects inside of our walls right now and on our on our roadmap. And so the first most important thing is to stay focused on what we the job that we have to do with the business that we run today. I, I do think that with the rapid pace of, of change and evolution in, in college athletics, there, there are a number of, of businesses that are trying to chase every conceivable opportunity that, that comes along with that evolution and change. And uh, Learfield is very deliberate, very patient about what we go after only driving value for school partners and, and those that we serve. So uh, that's the first thing is to make certain that during that rapid pace of change, we're not, we're not getting distracted. The second thing is, is to always stay focused on our core constituents, uh, the fans that we serve, because the more that we better serve fans, the more that we can reach those fans with the right message, the right opportunities, whatever that is, the better that we are serving the universities that care about those fans and the brands that want to connect with them. So, staying obsessively focused on building out solutions that keep us connected to fans so that we can better communicate and reach those fans on behalf of, of schools and, and brands continues to be critical. I look no further than how, how much and how quickly we've evolved content and media in college athletics over the last 18 months since we launched Learfield Studios. We've, we've released over 600 units of, of unique content in many cases in partnership with brands. We've had over 360 million impressions uh, in, in the content that we've produced. So continuing to stay connected to fans and delivering to them uh, access and content that they care the most about uh, will be critical in, in the years ahead, particularly as you point to the next initiative that's going to be important, which is NIL. And the opportunity now to include student-athletes in uh, content that we create and various initiatives that we we take to fans uh, because now of of NIL and so continuing to lead with offerings to student athletes in many cases uh, partnering with brands around NIL is going it's going to be a responsibility that we have especially because we have fifteen thousand brand partners around the country no company is better positioned to help create that connectivity between brands and student athletes in this new era of NIL than Learfield is. So th those are those are our priorities, not getting distracted in a fast moving space and continuing to to 
innovate around the core pillars of our of our business and we're laser focused on delivering on those priorities. Well, much more to come from Learfield. We're going to be continuing to track that at front office sports. But for now, we'll thank Cole DeHagan for spending this time with us. You bet. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Eric. That's it for today. Do us a favor and drop us a rating or review on your podcast app. Also, if you have any questions about the sports landscape or this show, send us an email at today at frontofficesports.com. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.